Well, yes, and an Avengers movie with only um, three people and they're all <laughs> remaining six feet apart at all times. It's, uh, it's not quite the same thing. Why are Nike's Chunky Dunky sneakers selling for $6,000 on eBay? How did Mickey Mouse find his way onto a face mask? Exactly how did all that Stranger Things gear land into my shopping cart? We explore what makes you click buy on the products that stand out above the rest thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to The Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. Welcome to episode two of The Licensing Mixtape. I'm Ben Roberts, and today I'm joined by my co-host and fellow content editor of License Global, James Donnett. Hello. Today, we're talking about movies. Now, James, I'm particularly excited for this episode. You're introducing us to Bruce Nash, a movie analyst for The Numbers. Given the entertainment industry is in flux at the moment with months in lockdown, no theatres, production backlogs, and new streaming habits, what are you hoping to talk about today? The biggest thing I'm hoping to learn is just Movies are are such a big thing for licensing. I mean, these properties are the number one generating thing in terms of licensing revenue. Um, So what is the backlog of production, the total stoppage of movie releases? How is this impacting us in the licensing business and just more broadly, entertainment in general? That's fair. Licensing is facing expedited changes across the board whether it's retail or e-commerce, toys, movies. The entertainment industry itself uh, is facing huge challenges. It's giving studios a lot to think about. All of the titles that are waiting to release, how people are watching them, and all of the toys and merchandise that come after. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, uh, too, for me is in retail, we talk a lot about like experiential and how big and important it is to have a big experience. And movie theaters are the kind of the birth of that. They were the original experience. And now we're looking at a potential future where people are streaming more and they're going to the theaters less. And how is that going to change? What are theaters going to have to do to evolve with the times, even post-COVID? I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, but it will change. It could just be a matter of using the right titles to build confidence in people and giving them an excuse to leave the house. There are big production titles coming up, which could be the first to bring us back to cinemas. You've got Christopher Nolan's Tenets, you've got Bill and Ted 3, which is supposed to come out at some point this year, even horror movies like Antebellum for the genre lovers. So it's just about building that bridge between here and then. And I think that's where IP and brands and titles and production studios really have the power. Yeah, those are all like international releases as well. So not every country is handling uh, COVID-19 in the same way. Some people are are kind of ahead of the curve. Some people are behind it. Um, So you're looking at a potential where you're releasing Mulan in one territory and you're not in another. And there's all these questions about how you kind of handle an approach for an international product when so much is in flux everywhere speaking of products here's a question how are you seeing things being handled right now so from streaming releases to our streaming habits and our consumer product habits i think the biggest thing i'm seeing is just everything's digital so from the streaming on netflix to where you buy it to to how you're consuming it you're not going to a store for most of these things Um, stores are open but you're not necessarily going to buy your trolls toys there you're going on amazon even you look at something like Trolls World Tour, which came out in April digitally, um, you were able to click on a link on Amazon while you were watching the video and it would take you to the consumer product page. So there's a lot more integration now that we weren't seeing before with these big tentpole pictures. You're right. These tentpole pictures, these major movie moments, they prop up the entire cinematic year. 
No Time to Die was supposed to be one of the keystone moments in 2020, but it kept getting pushed back. This thing had an ecosystem of content around it, sponsorship, music, and merchandise as well. And if they had just gone to On Demand, that major movie moment would have had a far less significant impact, and they would have recouped a fraction of their bottom line. So studios have a lot to think about at the moment. Yeah, that is a very big question, certainly with something like a James Bond picture, just because you're putting vast amounts of money into the marketing of that film and you have so many product tie-ins there was a calendar in place for that movie you know two years before and now that's all shifted so how is that going to affect their bottom line moving forward i think what you were saying about the experiential side of cinema is pretty interesting you have these major movie moments across the year that peak and trough and they have a very succinct time schedule with certain holidays but on the flip side we all have memories of going with our families to watch Star Wars, to watch Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Avengers, whatever it is. And that is a very important moment in both the family's time and the bottom line for the production studios. But now you have the online segment coming through where maybe newer titles are getting a little bit more access to those families. They're coming into the living room instead of the cinema and they're being widely embraced. So do you think that's something we'll see carry forward? You know, that's a big question. I, I think about like when I saw Star Wars Episode One in theaters as a kid with my dad, who's a big Star Wars fan. I don't know if I would have attached as much weight to that memory if we were just sitting on our couch at home. I, I think the movie theater experience is definitely something you don't want to see go away totally. Um, we talk about experience all the time, and I think movies still play a role in just getting out of the house and, and doing something fun. When is the convenience going to outweigh the the worry or fear of you know getting a virus or getting sick? It's a big question for sure. Well, we're talking to someone today who can help answer a few of those big questions. He is movie analyst Bruce Nash. Bruce, welcome to the licensing mixtape. Thanks very much. So, as you can probably tell, James and I are big movie geeks, but there's a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to jump straight into it. Given the climate, does it feel like studios are racing to be like the first person to do a wide release? Is that the sense you're getting, or are they kind of doing a wait and see? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that um, they're really... To me, it feels like they're sort of circling the airport and not really sure whether to land or not. Um, and I don't think that there's a huge rush to be first. I do think that the studios want to be supportive of the theatrical business. And so they're, they're trying to come up with a way to release films that is going to be helpful to the theater owners, I think. Um, and so as soon as they can and do it in a way that commercially makes sense, they will, I think. Um, uh, as far as being the absolute first, I, I don't think anybody... Um, I mean, there's a film called Unhinged, which uh, it's from a new studio called uh, Solstice. And I think they they want to be, uh, you know, sticking out as the, as the studio that, you know, was the first to go out there and really try to release a film theatrically. And um, I think that makes perfect marketing sense uh, for them. Um, and I suspect that that will be, if not the first, it'll be you know right at the head of the queue to, to come out. So kind of going back a little bit, can you kind of talk a little about some of the considerations that go into deciding what movies get a wide release and kind of how studios plan out a schedule even pre-COVID? Yeah. So. Uh, there, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, one, the, the studios um, each have their own, uh, you know, sort of brand image and and their own thinking about how 
they're going to reach their their audience. And you know, the obvious example of that is Disney. You know, we all kind of you know know what a Disney movie is, and and all of the studios want to have that kind of brand resonance. Um, you know, with what they do. And um, so they line up films that that fit that brand. So Disney will have, you know, a big family movie like The Lion King. They've got Mulan coming up this this year. Um, they'll put out, you know, they want to put out a Star Wars movie every year. They want to do a Pixar movie every year. Um, so they line up all of these films. And then there are really some prime dates where you want to release films, you know, July 4th weekend and, and Memorial Day and over the Christmas holidays, Thanksgiving and so on. And so the, the studios will try and stake out their place. Um, and you find over time that, that certain things sort of settle into place, that there's, you know, always a Pixar movie at a certain time of year. There's, a, you know, Star Wars movies come out around Christmas. Um, and, and so those key dates are kind of pinned down with those big films. And then for the smaller releases, which might be the comedies, um, you know, perhaps some action movies, um, which are a sort of slightly lower budget, they're really trying to place themselves around those big tent poles and go, well, you know, we're not going to go up against Star Wars, but the week after Star Wars comes out, uh, you know, might be a good time to release, you know, a comedy, which, you know, is going to have a slightly different target audience and, you know, is, isn't going to be pulling people away. But a lot of people are thinking about going to movie theaters right now. So you see this kind of dance that happens throughout the year as, as the studios schedule the films. And then that's combined with the fact that they have to market them. And, you know, so they want to think about how, what films they're going to advertise on the Super Bowl weekend and build excitement for um, in March and April and, and going in, into the summer. Um, so, you know, often you'll get films um, that will get placed based on that kind of opportune moment for a particular marketing campaign um, uh, for the film. One of the big tent poles that Ben and I were talking about a little bit earlier is a uh, tenant that's still kind of staked out to go in August. That's is that right. Yeah. I think August 14th is the current uh, plan for that. Um, and I think that's a great example of, of a, the studio wanting to do something that is supportive of, of the theaters and, and Christopher Nolan, who is the director of that film, uh, is a big proponent of the theatrical experience. Um, you know, he, he he likes to put films out on real film rather than just digitally. He, you know, loves to do a big, you know, IMAX presentation of his films. And, um, and so he really wants this to be in theatres and he sees this as being, you know, the, the moment that we go back to, to theatres. Um, and Warner Brothers wants to be supportive of that, wants to be supportive of um, the theatres, but has also spent $200 million making this film. Um, so from their perspective, if you think that they get, you know, half the theatrical take and they spend another $100 million on marketing the film, you know, they need to find a way to get $600 million around the world from, the, from that film. Um, and so for them going back into theatres and earning, you know, $10 million, which they might do if they released it now, you know, that's, that's really a tough business decision to make. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, even, even for a company as large as, uh, well, AT&T now who owns uh, Warner Brothers, um, even for them, you know, turning down $600 million is a pretty, pretty tough thing to do. James and I were talking a little bit on this earlier, this separation between cinema and streaming. And I remember when Martin Scorsese released The Irishman, 
He said, please, please, whatever you do, don't watch this on a mobile. So you have these big ticket directors dipping their toe into the world of streaming. But do you think in the future that there's going to be a, a further separation of cinema and streaming as maybe theatres get a bit more picky or they turn into more exclusive events or will streaming become more accessible and more prevalent? I, yes, I, that's, a, that's a fascinating question. I, I, I think that we, we will always have a big screen experience. There, and there are films that really work on on big screens, um, and you know, and, and Christopher Nolan and Martin Martin Scorsese, you know, make those kind of films. Of Alfonso Cuarón, who made Gravity, you know, that's a film that you know really has to be seen on a big screen, in in many ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be the market for it. People will be pulled more towards the home market as they get you know more and more technology at home that gives you a good sound, good vision. Um, you know, and a comfortable experience of, of watching from home. So I think there's that kind of trend that has been going on for years now, of course, um, and, and and that isn't going to go away entirely. But there's also, you know, a different, you know, experience going to see a movie in a big crowd, and particularly, you know, comedies, big action movies, cheering when Luke Skywalker appears in a Star Wars movie um, is is different in movie theater than it is at home. Um, so I think that's always going to be there, and um, uh, you know, and it'll it'll come back again as you know. Hopefully, we get through the pandemic. Experience is a notion that keeps cropping up when we talk about the future of cinema, and even all the way back to why we watch cinema, why we resonate with the brands and the titles and the characters, why we buy their consumer products. But what are you seeing happening in the theatrical space, which is hinting at a bit of a future for movies or even just a stopgap for the COVID-19 disruptions? You know, one of the things that's happened in the last few months is there's been a big resurgence for uh, the drive-in theatres, um, which is one thing that you can do relatively safely during a pandemic. Uh, and um, and that, you know, has a different experience again. And it works well for, you know, horror movies have been doing um, very well. Uh, in in drive-ins, um, uh, but you know, it's there is a question of whether it's enough of the same experience that you could release a movie like Tenet and it would it would work for you know the experience of watching it in your car. I guess on the flip side of that, for for movie studios, um, if they were to say just release something purely on digital, would they be able to recoup costs? Like, is it still going to have the same success factor if they did a purely theatrical release, or how does that work for them? Uh, so it it can be um, uh, it, it can make sense. Um, you know the, the the two good examples of that recently a, a Trolls World Tour, which what what really happened with that movie was that Universal spent all the money marketing that film in the in the run up to its release, um, and then the pandemic hit. So they'd spent all the money, all the hype was built up about the film, and then they had nowhere to release it. So they put it out as a premium VOD release. They say they made about $100 million um, from that, which isn't far from what they actually earned from the theatrical release of the film originally, the the first film. Um, So, uh, you know, for that case, because they'd spent those marketing dollars, um, it made sense for them to put it into a home video experience um, and just skip theatrical. Um, The other good example of that is Hamilton, which, which came out last weekend. Um, and the rationale there for Disney was they have this Disney Plus streaming service. They desperately need content for that. And then normally they would be, you know, releasing a film in theaters every month or two 
and then a few months later it would show up on, on Disney Plus. So they would have this pipeline of films going in there. That is dried up because they're not getting films in, into theaters. Um, so for Hamilton, you know, the, the equation for, for Disney was, well, they spent $70 million buying the rights to, to that film. They charge, I think, $7 a month for, for Disney Plus. So they just needed 10 million people to sign up for Disney Plus for it to make business sense for them to do that. Um, and, you know, the word on the street is that they probably, you know, achieved that comfortably. So I think we'll see that, that there will be cases of, of films just sort of skipping, but it'll be driven by that equation. You know, can we make more money uh, or at least can we make enough money from going direct to, to digital that it will recoup our, our costs and, and be a profitable venture? Um, the big problem with a you know really giant film like Tenet, like Mulan, is that you've spent, you know, a studio might spend $500 million dollars to make and market a you know real big movie. Uh, and you can never really make that back through DVD sales and Blu-ray sales and, and VOD. Um, you need the theatrical income in order to cover all those costs. And then, you know, and then ultimately it will be, you know, very profitable once it gets into the home market. Um, but, you know, you can't really forego uh, theatrical um, and, unless, you know, you're willing to, um, you know, write off a big part of that investment. So uh, another interesting kind of factor in all this is the way profit sharing contracts works with distributors and movie theaters. Um, with kind of the increase of VOD, do you think contracts might change and how they're set up might change moving forward? Or what do you think will happen on that front? If, if, we, if we have an extended period of pandemic, and I, and I think, you know, our modeling says right now, the very best case in the U.S. is that we would get back into somewhere close to a, a normal market around Thanksgiving. But that's probably extremely optimistic. Um, you know, that means people would have to completely change their behavior. Um, you know, we'd have to, you know, really shut down the economy again in order to, you know, conquer things. So really, we're looking more like, you know, the middle of next year before we might have a, a more normal theatrical market. Um, and in that case, there's a big question over whether the theater chains can survive long enough. Um, and, you know, certainly right now, the theaters that are open are playing these old classic movies where, you know, the, the studio has already recouped its money. You know, Ghostbusters was the biggest film in movie theaters last weekend. Um, and you can probably, I, I don't know if they're paying anything for the right to play Ghostbusters in their, in their theaters. It's probably a very nominal fee. Studios doesn't really need to charge very much um, to, to justify, you know, shipping someone the disc to, to play Ghostbusters. So you could see a scenario where the, where the studios go, well, we need the theatrical market. It's going to be really, really tough for them for, you know, at least the next 12 months, let's say. And therefore, we have to just everything we can do to get money to the theaters so that they can just survive for that period of time. And that may mean saying, yeah, you know, we'll, for Tenet, you know, rather than taking, you know, the 60 or 70% of the ticket price that we might take normally, you know, we'll do 40%, you know, because that, you know, helps the, the theaters out. Um, you know, I, th I, I think that you might see them getting a little bit creative like that. But of course, it's very hard for the studios as well in that, uh, in that scenario, because they've put all that money in, they need to, to recoup it. 
Um, but the bottom line is, you know, if there's less dollars coming in, then that has to be shared in a way that makes the whole of that ecosystem work. And that may mean, you know, really helping out the theaters. We, we touched upon the U.S., but um, movie like uh, the situation is very different in other parts of the country. Uh, I noticed on your blog you talked about Alive, the South Korean movie that came out. Um, is there a chance we might see some countries release movies theatrically and others VOD? Like, uh, especially with like Mulan, which is such a big, uh, it's a Chinese co-production with Disney, right? Right, so right. Yeah, I, I think I think we might see that. And Mulan's a great example. Um, I, 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 so, uh, you know, going back, you know, 30, 40 years now, it used to be very common for a film to come out and, and they used to call it touring. It used to literally tour around the country um, and play in, you know, it might only play in, you know, 200 theatres every week, but it would be a different 200 theatres and the sort of buzz would build around the film as it, as it toured around the country. Um, and that sort of went away in the last sort of 10, 15 years internationally as well as domestically. So now we have, you know, Star Wars will open on the same day in every country in the world pretty much. Um, that I think will have to go away if we're going to, you know, if, if we're sort of realistic about where things are headed, because, you know, as you say, South Korean market is opening up pretty nicely now. Um, you know, New Zealand has got on top of the uh, pandemic, you know, that they're, they're able to go back to, to more or less a sort of normal way of life. Um, so there are going to be countries where it's going to be possible to do that. I was very relieved to see that the UK case count seems to be coming down. Um, and so, you know, it's more realistic to to go to theatres. Um, and I think, that, you know, one of the key things to think about here is that people really, when it comes down to, is not necessarily what, you know, the government is doing or what the studios are doing or what the theatres are doing as how people feel about going to movie theatres. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there are going to be you know, countries where people are going to feel more comfortable about doing that and will start to show up again. And it totally makes sense to release Mulan um, in a country where it could do well if there's a, theater, you know, if there, there's a theatre um, business to, um, to support that. Um, and I think that for Disney, they may look at that and go, well, you know, China is probably key to them for that, for that film. Um, but they might say, well, we can, we could open this, you know, in all of these foreign markets maybe we'll do some special engagements you know put it in drive-ins in the u.s you know find some areas of the country where the, you know the pe people are happier to go to theaters um and then have it as a big disney plus release for thanksgiving or for christmas um that might make sense to them um so i i i think there's a good chance that we'll we'll see that um particularly if you know it you know we've seen this divergence from the US from really the rest of the world. I mean, there's a few other countries which are still, you know, having, you know, major outbreaks. Um, but the more that divergence increases, the more the pressure comes on to just, you know, let's release the film in the rest of the world. Let's see what we can, you know, make the best of a bad um, situation in the US. I think James raises an interesting point with where COVID is hitting hardest and where releases make sense. I also think on the flip side that there's a growing appetite for international releases and international properties and brands in the West. So you have Netflix currently in the UK 
has Curon, the Spanish horror series, which is fantastic. You have The Dark, another great series. And you have recent successes like Parasite, the South Korean movie, which won an Oscar. So there's all of these international movies coming through. Do you think that will fuel the appetite for international films and allow new studios to step out of Hollywood's shadow? I think that that becomes really interesting when you think about film production, um, because right now you really can't shoot anything in, in, in the US and, and nobody would... I mean, there's sort of some debate and people are doing things that, you know, um, are raising eyebrows to try and get films made here in the US. But, you know, you can go to Canada, you can go to New Zealand and, and film right now. Um, the UK is, um, you know, potentially opening up uh, to filming. Um, and that, you know, presents some opportunities for the studio. So Avatar is, you know, starting filming in New Zealand again. Um, Mission Impossible, the next Mission Impossible movie is planning on um, filming in, in the UK. Uh, and But it, it also presents some opportunities for independent film and, and the local films. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, Parasite um, winning Best Picture um, and, you know, doing great business here, here in the US, um, but uh, you know, also films like Train to Busan did did well in 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 the U.S. And so I think that there's a growing acceptance of some of these international films. And yeah, I mean, I think I think given that they may be the new content that's available in six months' time, uh, you know, that that may actually be an interesting opportunity for um, some of these foreign countries to to grab a larger market share. At least personally, I thought there was a potential where we would just not see movies released during a certain time, like just because production would lag. But is that sounding like it's not a possibility just because of different avenues people can take? Or So there is talk of there being kind of a logjam that, that once restrictions lapse, that you're going to have so many films that have been waiting that, you know, the studio is just going to try and pile, you know, all of them into the market. I think that that is not likely to happen because of exactly what you say the the content you know not only have we got nothing coming out we've got nothing being filmed as well so it's like you know maybe it'll be six months maybe it'll be a year maybe it'll be two or three years we don't know but there'll be essentially you know this this sort of hold that will um be both on the production side and on the exhibition side and so everything will just move back by you know let's say you know one one year um so you know where we're seeing you know there's going to be four tentpole movies all coming out on the same weekend in 2021 some of those films are just going to move i'm i'm really sure that it has to happen um because if you look at those four films two of them may be finished already Two of them, you know, aren't able to start shooting yet. And it's not clear that they would be finished in, in time anyway. So, yeah, I, I really think we'll see more shuffling. I think when it when things open up again, we'll actually not see a big gap. But we also won't see, you know, one weekend where, you know, we see four $200 million films all show up in theaters at the same time. I know certain regions are opening their doors at the moment for film crews, uh, whether it's New Zealand or London. Um, as you say, but how do you think this is going to affect streaming and the Netflix and Amazon originals? I know that not only do brands like The Witcher and Stranger Things have huge followership for Netflix, but they are huge in the brand licensing community, and we've all been locked in. We're all enjoying this content. That appetite for consumer products, that appetite for the brand is higher. 
how is this going to look in 2021 if they can't create anything new? Yeah, I think that, that that's actually perhaps a more interesting question. Uh, you know, Netflix say that they have a very long lead time for releasing uh, shows. Um, uh, you know, they talked um, at the beginning of the pa- pandemic, they said, well, you know, we have a year's worth of supply. You know, it's already made. It's, you know, we're just, you know, finishing up, you know, doing the subtitles and the dubbing and the things that they do. Um, at, at the end, in order to put it out in you know 100 different countries, um, so for them, you know, they they're fine for a year, but I think after that, it does become a little bit more of a question. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I I do think that you know international production, you know, could be a big uh, help to them uh, in that regard. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, when you think of you know Netflix, you know, has a show like Stranger Things, which is such a huge deal for them, and to the extent that they can't make those kind of shows, you know, for an extended period of time, that might start to present a, a real problem for them. Going on, back to the schedules a little bit, um, movies now at those big tent poles, they're not just movies; they're merchandise, video games, all kinds of things. Uh, does the change in schedules, has that also impacted just how studios and their partners are rolling out everything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and this this sort of, uh, you know, is going to be, you know, it's a great question. You know, it, it clearly has some roll-on effects, particularly going into the holidays. Um, you know, a Star Wars movie comes with all the new, figures and you know the new lego sets and all of that kind of stuff that they're, they're going to try and roll out in november december in in the run-up to the holidays um so to the extent that that is is missing that is that is definitely um you know a broader issue for uh you know for other industries as, as well as the, the film industry um and I, I i think that we might you know run into some questions around that as we get towards the end of the year you know i talked earlier about some pressure on Disney to bring out a film like Mulan for the holidays. Um, you know, that makes sense for them for, for Disney Plus, but it also, as you say, you know, has implications for the, um, uh, you know, the merchandise that might go around a, a film like that. Um, so again, yeah, it's great. It's a great point. I, I, I think that that again sort of pushes the studios a little bit more to release stuff, even if the theatrical experience isn't going to be there so much. What do you think the movie-going experience is going to be like in five years? <laughs> well, so we're doing quite a lot of modeling at the moment around what is the path that the pandemic is, is taking. And the worst-case scenario is that in five years' time, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and there's a lot of sort of complicated questions around that about how effective vaccines are and how long immunity lasts and people's behavior. But the worst case scenario is that vaccines, you know, are either not possible or don't work very well. uh, And that the disease, you know, continues to be very difficult to treat and people don't change their behavior enough to sort of tamp things down in the US. So in that case, you may have a situation where really the theatrical market has to evolve to the way that we are right now, which is probably a lot more drive-in theaters open up. There's fewer, the- you know, there's fewer theaters in malls and, and you know, standalone traditional movie theaters. So it's possible in you know, five years time, we're all going to movies, but we're going to drive-ins um, and they're at the mall, but it's the, you know, the wall of the mall and you're all sitting in the mall car park in order to, to watch a movie. 
Um, you know, I think I think that that's one possible scenario. I mean, it's, there's a lot of other things that would happen in the economy if if that you know came to pass. But um, but it's possible that we may still be in that situation. Otherwise, you know, I think that I think that this is going to deal a blow to the theatrical business. But if we assume that we're going to come out of the pandemic thanks to a vaccine, um, you know, better treatment uh, and so on, then I think what we'll see is that there will still be theatres. I think there's a possibility that they'll really be focused around the tent poles, um, that the studios, you know, won't see the commercial sense in spending, you know, $60 million making a film and then another $50 million marketing it in order to reach, you know, what will be a smaller um, theatrical business because there are fewer theatres to, to, to play a film. Um, so that may be that we see, you know, these big films, just for Nolan, still going to be making films like Tenet. They're still going to be playing in theatres, but those are going to be, you know, even a bigger deal because there's going to be, because the studios are going to be really based around that temple model. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for on today's episode of the Licensing Mixtape. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, give us any questions, any topics, any solutions to problems we didn't even know we had, let us know at news.licenseglobal.com. In the meantime, it's been fantastic talking to Bruce today. Bruce, thank you so much. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for asking me. This has been fun and and great questions. I've really enjoyed it. In our next episode, Stephen Extract will be talking to Sarah Busby of Ubisoft, and they'll be talking all things gaming. Until then, though, be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.